Welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, your own personal health reporter. Today we're going to talk about managing menopause symptoms with hormone replacement therapy. Now there was a time when it was an automatic thing to put women on hormones, not only to relieve symptoms, but also because of the belief that it might prevent chronic diseases such as osteoporosis, dementia, and heart disease. Then in 2002, thanks to a large study called the Women's Health Initiative, we found out that long-term use of a combination of the hormones estrogen and progesterone increases the risk of breast cancer, heart disease, blood clots, and stroke. Now, in the study, estrogen alone did not increase the risk of breast cancer or heart disease, but did increase the risk of blood clots and stroke. Estrogen alone also increases the risk of endometrial cancer. One of the drawbacks of the study was that most of the women who were tracked started taking hormones in their mid-60s. Younger women in the study seemed to have fewer risks and more benefits. So now there are more studies being done to better understand the risks and benefits for women in their 50s, which is when women usually begin to have menopause symptoms. Something else the study didn't do was to look at the effects of plant-based hormones. It only looked at an estrogen replacement derived from horses and a synthetic progesterone. So what does the study mean for women right now who are going through menopause? What hormone replacement options are there to relieve symptoms? And what are plant-based hormones? Here to answer those questions and more are Joe Lorello and Cassie Brooks. Joe is a pharmacist and they co-own Coastal Pharmacy and Wellness in Portland, Maine. Welcome. Happy to be here. I'm going to be doing another podcast at a later date to talk more in depth about menopause and what happens. We're going to mostly talk about hormone therapy. So my question is, as a result of the study, what, 15 years ago, did the use of hormone therapy suddenly come to a screeching halt? Oh, it was a dramatic drop in the use, yes. Um, and that was um, as a result of practitioners uh, reading the results and then patients themselves just being very uh, uneasy at that point with any kind of hormone replacement therapy. Have things kind of balanced out now? They have. Uh, the approach now is... Um, you know, looking at what you said earlier, that they, they looked at the study and uh, dug down a little bit. Now, just what was happening in that study, who were the patients, their ages, and as it relates to menopause, because that study was looking at um, cardiovascular health, it wasn't really looking at the symptoms of menopause. So looking at that, evaluating that, looking at the age of the patients, now that we're having menopause symptoms, um, so there was a, a reassessment, and in general, um, there is a um, willingness to uh, for practitioners to prescribe and patients to uh, take medication for menopause. Only uh, at this, the approach now is uh, to um, look for the minimum dose for the minimum amount of time. And to start it early rather than later? Correct. So should, if you're going to take hormone replacement therapies, should you begin as soon as you start to have symptoms, if you're going to take them? I mean, not all women take them. Correct. Yeah, if you're going to take them. Yeah, evaluate what's, what's 
what is happening with you in particular and uh, make that decision, the right decision for you as to whether this therapy is right for you. Uh, and from the perspective of um, is this, are the symptoms I'm feeling, are they disrupting my life enough so that, you know, I really think I should try this therapy and see if it brings some relief for me. And yes, there's no, no reason to wait if uh, those symptoms are, particularly if they're disrupting lifestyle, there's no reason to start, not to start. And when you say for, take them for as short a period as possible, right. what are we talking about? Pretty individual there, Diane. You know, some, some women, it, it is a short period of time, maybe a couple of years. For others, uh, it could be quite a bit longer. Because I remember in the, the old days, um, women going on them and they stayed on them, I think, for oh, decades. Yeah. I, I, you know, you and I have known each other for a while, and, and you're right. Back then, I think um, if a woman was anywhere near 50 years old, they would put on hormone replacement therapy. They just were. I have to say, um, getting personal here again, when I started having symptoms of menopause, I went to see my OBGYN, and the first thing he did was say, well, it's time for you to go on Premarin. Now, yeah. it was before the study, but not really that long before the study. And But I knew that I didn't want to do that. So I found a practitioner who offered plant-based hormone therapy, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. And um, But those practitioners were few and far between at that time. You are correct. Um the uh, you're saying the same thing. It, it you know that particular medication is my understanding. It was the number one medication in the world at one time, and you know that's just it. You you came in and you were experiencing symptoms, and it was it was prescribed. Not unusual, very usual, mm. um, and that's certainly not the case these days. Um, yeah. Well, why don't we take a look at um, what is available for medications now? I've got a list in front of me, and um, you may have some to add. But at the top of the list, it says uh, estrogen pills are still most common. Is that true? These commercially made estrogen pills? I would say I'd have to look, Diane, to be honest, but I would have thought if someone asked me, and I had to do a multiple choice, it would have been an estrogen patch. Okay. Maybe they're neck and neck now. Yeah. I don't know. But let's look at the pills, though, like the pills that I mentioned, and there are some others. These, right. are, these are all commercially made, which, which means what exactly? Drug manufacturers. And still one of them from the horse's urine? Correct. Still pretty widely prescribed. Yeah, at a lower dose than it was, but still pretty widely prescribed. Can you give me any pros and cons? for taking these, other than what we've mentioned? Um, well, uh, the pros, look, it's, it's, it's got a long history, and uh, there are certainly many women that have used these in the past, and they've worked well for them. For me, it would seem like uh, that that particular medication um, isn't, exactly what was there in the first place, right? It's not a bioidentical hormone. It's not a hormone uh, that 
women were producing and using and utilizing throughout their lifetime. Okay. So to me, and I, you know, it, it would seem that that would not be ideal. However, you know, again, they've used this for years and women have, many women have done well on them. So. And as far as taking any kind of pill, how is that absorbed by the body? Well, it goes through the GI tract and then usually through the um, liver before it gets out into systemic circulation. So you mentioned skin patches. We'll talk about those next. That's one of the differences. If you've got a skin patch on and that's how your body's getting estrogen, it gets right. what absorbed directly into the bloodstream? Yeah. yeah, it eventually all goes through the liver, but there's not that big... Um, load going through the liver and then into the circulation. It's in the circulation first. So there uh, appears to be a benefit uh, via that route of administration for all the hormones. So that was the one that I chose way back when, um, a patch that I wore in my lower abdomen, and I just had to remember to, to change it. I think it was once yeah. a week. Yeah, yeah, once a week, somewhat twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, very easy. Uh, and low dose because it's going through the skin like that. It's a low dose. Uh, but, you know, like everything, they, they don't work for everybody. When they don't right? work, what happens? They just don't relieve the symptoms? I think that you've got a couple of things. Uh, you know, there's um, adhesives. And people react to the adhesives. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, that medication just didn't work for them. It didn't take care of their symptoms. So when I mentioned that in that original study 15 years ago, uh, they didn't look at plant-based estrogen. Is, right. Now, so the skin patches, are they made up of plant-based estrogen, or is it like the estrogen pills only as skin patches? Yeah, no, it's plant-based estrogen. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Um, to have you explain what that means exactly, but okay. they weren't included in that original study. Have they been studied to date? Do we know if they really are safer than what was studied? I don't know of any study that's been completed or ongoing. Um, that it, th There's a couple of things. You know, you'd need a lot of women over a long period of time. The women's health initiative, they, they had a lot of women in that, and they were planning on a long period of time. But that's what you need to really get the results that would be helpful for practitioners and for patients. I, I don't know of one, and I, I don't know of one ongoing either. Hmm. So, so all estrogens are lumped together. They're all lumped together with the same uh, warnings and precautions. Okay, that's what I was just going to ask you. Yes. Okay, next on the list I've got estrogen gels, creams, sprays. Yeah, yeah. Um, not well studied either. D do many women opt for those options? Uh, yeah, there's there's many women that, that there's many practitioners that uh, are familiar with them and uh, would recommend them for their patients and a lot of patients that use them for the just for the reasons you've just mentioned. So that takes me back to, I got progesterone as a cream that I used to rub on the inside of my arm. So yep. what, so the estrogen I got in the patch, mm -hmm. and I got progesterone as a cream on my arm. Yeah. And so the reason I was offered the combination would have been what? Well, it's the same thing. If you, It seems that uh, 
the root of administration ideal for hormone replacement is is something other than you know through the gut so topical is a, is a good way to get hormones into the system you you uh, bypass that first pass effect that first pass through the liver to get into the system you get it into the system and then it eventually does go through the liver but you don't get that big load like we had mentioned before and the reason I would have been taking both estrogen and progesterone is well this yeah couple you you want if you have an intact uterus you want to protect that uh, endometrial lining from any cellular changes as well as if it's replacement therapy and there's there's been a reduction in the amount of those hormones that your body's producing it makes sense to replace both of them okay. instead of just one to try to get a balance and get everything back like the symptoms you mentioned the depression and some other things I think the balance between uh, all of them uh, help you know take care of those symptoms and they did I have to say that within a year I was back to my my normal cranky self instead of my <laughs> super cranky self <laughs> well that's an improvement so the other thing on my list um, are suppositories, rings, and creams, and why would you use any of those? It mostly uh, local effects for vaginal dryness and atrophy. Okay. Before we are going to get to what is a plant-based hormone, I promise, huh? but I do need to ask, you mentioned that the combination of estrogen and progesterone would be for a woman who still has a ut her uterus. Right. So a woman who has had... A, a hysterectomy or a partial hysterectomy might only take uh, estrogen alone or what would she take maybe she she could and if that took care of the symptoms then I, if that works for her and that's that works for that patient then okay but again it would seem that um, it's not just to uh, protect against those cellular changes but the balance between estrogen and progesterone and to um, take care of any symptoms that might be because of a decrease in both of those hormones. Okay, so let's talk about plant-based okay. hormones. You also call them bio-identical hormones. Right. What does that mean? Um, so it, it refers to really the structure of the um, chemical, if, if you will, or the... the medication or the hormone, the chemical structure of that hormone. And the plant-based estrogens, like you, that are found in those estrogen patches, um, have a chemical structure that is identical to the chemical structure of the estrogen that women and men, by the way, have been producing since they were around. So that is the really the essence of it. It's the chemical structure, the way that particular uh, hormone looks. It looks just like the one if you were to take some uh, blood sample and look at the estrogen from your blood sample to the estrogen uh, that was uh, derived from those plant uh, sources, the chemical structure, the look, is the same in 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 theory and in practice uh, they they react the same and do the same things 
Okay, so what plants? I've heard of yams. Yes, yam and soy primarily. How do you extract the estrogen from the right. soy plant or the yam? Right. There's there's no estrogen in there. Oh. Yeah. No. It's a there's a substance called a sterol that is further manipulated uh, in a lab setting uh, to uh, ultimately um, end with estradiol or other estrogens as well as testosterone and progesterone. But these are, as you call them, bioidentical? Correct. So when we take a look at some of the other hormone replacement therapies that we talked about that are they're manufactured, those are all synthetic hormones? Correct. Correct. And they've, and again, the, I, I think the, um, the thing to really key in on is that chemical structure. You know, the way it looks and the way it looks chemically can ultimately uh, have an effect on how it reacts uh, systemically within your system. It's kind of a lock and key thing. You know, if you think about drugs and uh, receptors, it's kind of a lock and key. You gotta have the right looking key to fit the lock to uh, cause the response you're looking for. So, so if it's the one that was really this, the same look as what was there in the first place, and it's going to match up. That key is going to match up with that receptor. And that's what plant-based hormones do. That's right. That And again, it's they are plant-based. They derive, they start from a plant source. But there is some um, manipulation to get that chemical uh, structure, that, that hormone structure to uh, look like what was there in the first place. Okay. You mentioned the term estradiol. Is that the same as estrogen? It is an estrogen. There's a number of different estrogens. Estradiol is one of them. Oh, so our ovaries produce all kinds of estrogen? Uh, there's uh, three main estrogens. Uh, there's uh, estrone, estradiol, and estriol. So do postmenopausal women produce any kind of estrogen still? My understanding is there is some uh, production still, yes. It's but nothing like, nothing like the good old days. Correct. All right. Coastal Pharmacy and Wellness is a good old regular pharmacy, mm -hmm. but it's also a compounding pharmacy. What does that mean? Do, do you want to weigh on in this one, Cassie? No, you no, don't. You're okay. rocking it. Okay. Uh, right. So Coastal Pharmacy and Wellness, right. We are a independent um, retail pharmacy, Portland's only independent pharmacy, independently owned pharmacy. Meaning you're not, uh, a, ch you're not a chain. We're not a chain. Independently owned to three local owners. Um, we have, we do fill traditional retail prescriptions, but we also have a compounding pharmacy uh, within our pharmacy as well. And I have to say, I remember years ago when I was a, a reporter on television, going yeah. in when you first started that compounding pharmacy, we could, we could watch you working um, through the glass screen. Right, right through a glass window, right. Yeah, we put that there so you can see in there and see the lab and uh, the equipment in there and um, things being made. 
So why, though? Why did you decide to start a compounding pharmacy? Oh, man. <laughs> What's so, the benefits of it? Well, for me, Diane, and it gets a little personal, is that, you know, I was, uh, you and I go back even to, you know, Rosemont Pharmacy, which is now gone. This uh, is just a few years for the, it's for just the a listeners, few years just ago. a few years. <laughs> and so um, I was introduced to compounding pharmacy there. And um, the thing that happened for me is that the, the actual, just even making them, I think I like to cook, I just don't know it, hmm. but I, I liked just making these items. And additionally, um, I, I felt like more of the, the team, you know, more of a, a team with the patient and the practitioner and um, um, getting something for the patient. I just part of that team. I got more thanks for uh, preparing something for someone than I did for maybe just dispensing some blood pressure medication, something like that. So for me personally, it was something I really enjoyed and uh, I found very rewarding as well. It was really rewarding. So uh, that led me into um, owning um, a couple of different pharmacies that had compounding as one of the main uh, departments within the pharmacy. So when it comes to creating hormone replacement therapies, mm -hmm. you can compound some of them? Yeah, oh yeah, we do some creams and uh, um, we do some um, sublingual drops, sublingual um, trochies. Trochie? Yeah, yeah, it's a lozenge, more okay. of a lozenge, capsules lotions, solutions, vaginal suppositories. So this cream, as I said, when I went through menopause, it was actually you or your pharmacy that made the cream that I put on my skin. Right. How would you have possibly made that progesterone cream? With a lot of love, Diane. Thank you. You got me through it, <laughs> Joe. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help it, but yeah. Look, the the um, pharmacists uh, they don't know it, but they're trained to do this. It, you know, uh, when it when it came along and came into my life, it was like you know I didn't really. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. I I didn't know I I knew how to do this, but they're just trained. They you they know how to do this, and I was uh, given a few tools. I, I went and got a certificate in compounding, but given a few tools and a few formulas. And, uh, and, and went from there. But, you know, the thing is, I, I always knew how to do it. I just, I didn't realize how much I would like it, enjoy it. What is the benefit? You, you made this cream, you mm -hmm. put ingredients in it. Right. Maybe you didn't put the same ingredients in mine as you might have another woman, like say Coke. another woman might have had some kind of an, a reaction. Might you then change the formula? Correct. Good. Yeah. You can really individualize things, uh, compounding. That is a big part of what compounding is. But compounding uh, really gels well with a hormone replacement therapy because there's a lot of individuality there. And we can change things in a big way or in a minor way uh, to uh, help, help the patient with their symptoms. And do you only work with the plant-based hormones? when you're compounding? That's all we have. 
Okay. So you you wouldn't take one of these estrogen pills and do anything with them? Correct. Would not. So you're talking about um, the plant page you're talking about the plant based hormones, like for instance the, this progesterone cream. You would add the hormone, but then you would add other ingredients to make it be absorbed by my skin. Oh, yeah. In the world of compounding, just like anywhere else, there are uh, vendors out there, and they um, have um, products that they will offer to compounding pharmacies. And they've evolved over the years trying to meet uh, ultimately the patient's needs through us. And so, yeah, we can uh, look for a base that might be more appropriate from one patient to another. What about insurance coverage? Is it the same whether you're just filling someone's prescription or creating a compounded medication? Uh, insurance coverage has, uh, it's really been uh, an up and down cycle. When we first started compounding, there was minimal coverage for uh, com- compounds through the insurers. After a fashion, they caught on and there was there was a lot of coverage. I, I think we were up to 60% or more uh, of uh, compounded prescriptions that were covered by insurance. Uh, more recently, it's gone the other way again. We're, we're down to 10% or so. Mm. But my understanding, in, uh, from what I've heard from uh, different activity out there, is the insurers are re-looking at it again uh, because people want it. They they Look, everybody <clears throat> recognizes, even the FDA recognizes that compounding is a necessary part of medicine, and so and, and people want it. So they're going back to the uh, companies that provide insurance and say, we, we want this, and we want this covered for our individuals. So right now, not so good, but uh, stay tuned because I think it's going to go the other way again. Okay. So, and I, I think it's important, too, you said people want this. But in some cases, people need this. So, you know, for example, you know, hormone replacement, it can be a choice. But if you have a child with a rare condition and there isn't a medication that's commercially available, Mm -hmm. they need the medication. And if it's not covered by the insurance, they may not get it. And there's there's indicate there's uh, times when there's shortages where the manufacturer hasn't been able to get the medication out. But at times and in some instances, it can be compounded. So in that instance, I mean, gee, it should be covered. It, it, does, it does make sense if it's the only way in particular, if it's the only right. way you can right. get a medication. Yeah, right. they, if they didn't have another, if there wasn't some other avenue, if this was the thing that worked really well for this patient and, and it's able to be compounded, it seems like it should be covered as well. You just made me think of another question. It has to do with progesterone. We mentioned estrogen as pills and patches. Does progesterone come in pill and patch form as well, or just the cream? Uh, you mean from a commercially available standpoint? Yeah, from either standpoint. Progestin. Progestin. That's what it's but called. There's no, on the, there's no... It's progesterone. But there's no uh, patch. Correct. But it does come as a pill, yeah, commercially yes, yeah. made. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's a commercially available uh, progesterone capsule. Okay, so you use the term, or I use the term, progestin and progesterone. What's the difference? It's like estrogen and estradiol. So progesterone's a progestin. 
Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. To, <laughs> it's yeah. hard enough just going through menopause having to yeah. remember all this stuff. So to get back to hormone therapy, how does a woman even know if what she's taking is right for her? Does she just know, oh, I'm feeling better? Well, I think it can be, you know, symptoms. How are you feeling? I mean, maybe you're starting to go through menopause. You're not sleeping well at night. You're extremely moody. Um, maybe some vaginal dryness. And it's more than that. If you've gone to the doctor and I think some providers do, they'll do blood levels or saliva tests to see where your levels are at. Hmm. And, you know, where's the norm? It could be a little bit different for everybody. But if they're seeing something that really looks a little out of whack, they may want to introduce that patient to something. You know, you sort of bring up an important point. It's really important to have a conversation with your doctor about what you're feeling so that you can make an informed decision about what to do about it. Absolutely. Yes. When women come up to the counter at the pharmacy, do they have any common questions that they ask you about hormone therapy or any kind of therapy for menopause symptoms? Um, a, a, a lot of them are, uh, like you've already discussed, you know, um, the general public is, uh, as a general statement, a lot more educated than they used to be. And it's funny, I was saying this today, too. Sometimes they'll ask a question they already know the answer to. They were kind of just testing you. But uh, most of it is kind of the things you've already discussed. They want to know if it's plant-based. Is this plant-based? Is this natural? I want something as natural as I can get it. That's a lot of what we get here. And I know it's not really the topic of discussion, but I want to bring it up. There are some women who don't want to take any hormone replacement therapy at all. Um, are there any herbal remedies or lifestyle changes that you would recommend, or should we just pass that on to a future podcast? I, 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 think, think, I think that future podcast is a better place for it. But I would say, yeah, that we, we're... We're all for that. We're all, all for health. And if if um, the and and the patient is takes a big role in hormone replacement therapy, and in the decision whether to take it or not. And if that individual's uh, decision is, I, I want to try some some non-pharmaceutical uh, avenues first. We, we are totally all for that. We, we, we um, think that's a good thing to do. Nothing wrong with that at all. And that would include herbal remedies, lifestyle sure. changes, things like Life, that. Yeah, lifestyle changes and see if that um, makes a difference. I mean, less medicine is better right. is a general statement. Well, we're going to wrap things up here. I want to ask both of you if there are any other words of wisdom that you would like to pass along about managing the symptoms of menopause with hormone replacement therapy. I don't know if I have any words of wisdom on that, but um, from a compounding perspective, I think it's important if people are going out there and they're talking to their practitioners and they're going to be getting prescriptions or getting compounds, I think it's important to ask a couple of questions before they get their prescriptions filled at that compounding pharmacy. And some of those questions are really related to quality and to ensure that the lab that they're getting their medications from are going through quality procedures to ensure that what they're getting is what they should be getting. 
um, asking questions. I think it's great when a customer comes in and asks us questions about how we make something. How do we know that what we made is what that patient needed? You know, what, what types of quality checks do you go through? Where do you get your chemicals from? Do you get them online or do you actually go through a wholesaler that is, that's been approved? So I think those are important questions prior to using just any compounding pharmacy. Good, good points. I would just add, I, it, as far as this goes, uh, I think the general feeling of the lowest dose for the lowest period of time is, is a good avenue to go on. And in this therapy, along with uh, many other therapies, uh, the, the words are assess and reassess. How am I doing now? Do I need to, you know, maybe just change my dose now and, and use less or do I need a little more? So assess and reassess as you go along. I think that's an important point, the reassess point, because lots of times we don't think about that. We just, you get the prescription and you you take it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Reassess as you're going along. Reevaluate. Where am I at? And it might be a point where you know uh, you no longer need this medication. You, you're going to be fine without it. Right. That's what happened to me. As I said, after a year. Um, th- well, I was taking a few different medications. I'll, I will confess um, to help deal with the depression yeah. and to help deal with these heart palpitations, which were weird. But um, after one year, I asked myself, I wonder what it would be like if I went off them. And so with my doctors, okay, and I went off them, weaned off them, and everything felt fine. But it would have been easy to just, well, I'm on these medications, and to assume that I better stay on them. So I followed your advice when I didn't even have it. (laughs) (laughs) I sent it over telepathically. (laughs) Telepathically. Channeling. All right. Thank you, Cassie and Joe. I've been talking with Joe Lorello and Cassie Brooks. Joe is a pharmacist, and they are co-owners of Coastal Pharmacy and Wellness in Portland, Maine. I'm Diane Atwood, and you've been listening to the Catching Health Podcast. If you have any questions about managing menopause symptoms or suggestions for future podcast topics, please send me an email, diane at dianeatwood.com. And be sure to check out my Catching Health blog and other podcasts at catchinghealth.com. Thanks for listening.